Good evening. Once again, I'll kind of start out with a familiar line, tis indeed the season, tis the season, when our nation officially takes a day off to count their blessings and to thank God for all of his blessings. And you know, we need to do that a whole lot more than just one day a year. One day a year is not sufficient to thank God for all of the blessings that he has given us because counting our blessings is something that we all need to do because it doesn't matter how spiritual you are. All of us in our lives, as we know, can lose sight of our blessings. We can lose heart. We can get discouraged and be lost in a sea of heartache and despair even while Jesus died to provide us with a life of joy and blessings and rejoicing in life to the fullest on a daily basis. He did that so that we would have those things no matter how difficult the trials or the circumstances or the tribulations that we are going through. And you know, so many times that begins with simply counting our blessings, no matter where we are in life. Because counting our blessings causes us to focus on what God has given for us, what God has given to us, and, and not, not the circumstances around us. If we focus on what in the world is going on around us so many times, we can lose heart and be discouraged. But if we focus on counting our blessings and what God has given us, it changes our lives completely. And that's what this song, that, that kind of our theme for tonight, Count Your Many Blessings, that's what this song is all about. It's about focus, focus. It's about refocusing. And I just want to use the word focus, F-O-C-U-S, as an acronym. This song is about focus, F-O-C-U-S. And that stands for fixating on Christ's, I'm sorry, fixating on Christians' unbelievable salvation. Fixating on Christians' unbelievable salvation. This song causes us to focus. This hymn, Count Your Many Blessings, was written by a man named Johnson Oatman, Jr. He began writing songs at about the age of 35. Each year thereafter, he averaged about 200 songs per year, culminating in his composing over 5,000 songs. Among them, some of his self-proclaimed favorites were songs like Higher Ground and No Not One. However, one of his songs that seemed to capture the heart of everybody else was Count Your Many Blessings, which was written in 1897. Almost immediately after he wrote this song, he began his meteoric journey to popularity. Oatman died about 25 years later in Norman, Oklahoma, in 1922. You know, it's been said many times by many folks, people may not remember what you did for them or what you said to them, but they will remember how you make them feel. And Count Your Many Blessings is one of those songs that makes you feel good because it focuses you back on what God has done for you. And I realize that we're not supposed to go on our feelings. Just because something feels right doesn't mean it is right, but we should feel good about what God has done for us when we understand that. The truth should drive our feelings, not the other way around. 
But this song makes us feel good because it makes us focus on God. It gives us the joy and the strength and the stamina to press on no matter what as we sit back and we count our blessings. Do you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 17 verses 34 through 37, you'll recall this story I'm sure. Little boy David's going out to fight Goliath. King Saul wants to give little David his armor. But David doesn't use the armor. David looks back at what God has done for him before. He counts his blessings, as it were. He looks back to what God has done for him before, and he, and he tells King Saul, he says, you know, when I was out there and I was a shepherd, and a lion or a bear would come and threaten the sheep, I would chase them down. And basically, he says, by the power of God, I would vanquish that lion or that bear. That's what God's always done for me. He was looking back. He was facing the future and the future struggles by looking back and what God had already done for him. And he said, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like that lion or that bear. What's he saying? I can face the giant in my future with the same God who got me past the giants in my past. He was looking at what God had done for him in order to face how God would help him through what was coming. And that's sort of what counting your blessings is all about. Count your many blessings does the same thing. I want to show you what I mean tonight. You don't have to open to the song if you don't want to. I would ask you to open to Matthew chapter 14. Each of these verses in this song reminds me of a particular time in the scriptures where people got blessings. The first verse, when upon life's billows you are tempest tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, Count your many blessings, name them one by one. It'll surprise you what the Lord has done. As I read about being tossed upon the waves, I can't help but be reminded of the Apostle Peter sinking in the sea. We would read from Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., after these disciples had struggled at the oars all evening, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, crying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. They're in this terrible wind-tossed, storm-tossed, dark night. It's been a long night. They didn't know if they were going to live to see the other side. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And Jesus said, no, you're just going to have to float around and learn your lesson. No, that's not what it says. Did you notice this blessing? And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Said to him, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. It's an incredible story. Peter took his eyes off of the blessing. Peter was walking on water, okay? How cool must that have been? Peter was actually doing it. But what did he do? 
He took his eyes off of the Lord. He took his eyes off the blessing of the Lord enabling him to do that. He saw the storm. Instead of focusing on his blessing, the Lord standing right there saying, come. What did Peter do when he saw the storm? Took his eyes off the blessing of Jesus enabling him, empowering him, being there with him in the storm. What did he do? He sunk. But another blessing came out of that, the blessing of immediately the Lord reached out. And did you catch the end blessing here that they all had? This is not the first time that they faced the storm at sea with Jesus. The first time they faced the storm at sea with Jesus in Matthew 8, their conclusion at the end of that in verse 23 was, who is this? But you know what? Second round, another storm, they understood who this was. What did they do? They said, truly, you are the Son of God, and they worshiped him. What a blessing. But the blessing came by keeping their eyes on Jesus and who he truly was. That's what they should have been doing. And I think of that as I read that first verse. Sometimes we are storm-tossed. We need to count our blessings and keep our eyes on the fact that Jesus said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. If we don't lose sight of that, we can continue to walk through the storm. The second verse says, Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. Singing is the sign of a joyful heart. As I read that verse about burdened with a load of care and singing as the days go by, I'm reminded of the story of Paul and Silas in Acts 16. Please turn there. Acts chapter 16 is the first series of verses that come to mind there about singing when you're burdened. <clears throat> Paul and Silas been jailed. They've been thrown into the inner prison, the dungeon, if you will, the worst part of the prison and fastened in stocks. The stocks were an in instrument of torture. Their legs were spread wide and put in the stocks and, and then their, their hands like this and, and they couldn't lie down and ease the pain on their hips and to set up hurt. It was a terrible instrument of torture. And they're in, a, they're in a real bad place. But it says in Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 16, it happened. I'm sorry. In Acts chapter 16, go down with me to, there it is, there's the verse I want. Um, at midnight, look what's happening in verse 25. 1625. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were saying how horrible it was they were in this. No. They're praying. And what? Singing. You've got to understand, they were put in jail for something that, for, for casting out this, this spirit out of this lady and ruining the trade of these people. They were unjustly jailed. I mean, come on. And yet, what are they doing? In the midst of their difficulty, they're praying and singing to God. Do you ever sing when you're in a bad place? Maybe we ought to start. Do you ever, when you're in a bad place, and you're in a struggle in your life, maybe, maybe turn on some, some a cappella hymns and just, just, just sing to the Lord and thank him? That's what they were doing. That's the equivalent of what they were doing. They were counting their blessings, as it were, singing praises to God. They were praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, a great earthquake. 
But the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were opened, everyone's chains were loosed. The keeper of the prison, waking from sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, we're all here. Called for a light, ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And we know that later he and his family were. Listen, Paul and Silas were singing. They were counting their blessings. They were praising God, even in that dark place. And did you see the blessing that came out of it? What blessing came out of it? A whole family's converted to Christ. See that? Sometimes when we're in our darkest spot and the world sees that, that we have a hope and that we have a joy and that we're counting our blessings and we're telling people how awesome God is even when we're in an awful spot, they say, my goodness, what is wrong with you people? It's not about what's wrong with me. It's about what's right with God. I know God's got this. I know my God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our God is able. And even if he does not, that's okay. We're still going to praise God. Job said, even though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Count your blessings. Count your, count your blessings. As I sing the third verse of this song, it says, when you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings money cannot buy. Your reward in heaven. Know your home on high. Turn to me to Romans chapter 16, and I'll show you what that verse reminds me of. Romans chapter 16. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. You know, I once heard a quote from an Oklahoma country singer who said that he had more money than he or his kids or his grandkids could ever spend. You know, if somebody who's a multi, 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 multi-millionaire dies and leaves your fortune, buy a lot of things. When I look at others with their lands and gold, you know what I think? Everything that the richest man on earth has is nothing compared with the inheritance that I have in heaven. Do you see that in that verse? I am a co-heir with Jesus Christ. What is Jesus's? Everything, right? And I'm a co-heir, an equal heir, a child of God through the blood of Christ. I have the riches of heaven that belong to him. He's going to share his inheritance with me. I am a co-heir if indeed I suffer with him. I have far more than the richest man on earth if I am in Christ Jesus. Look the way Peter puts it in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. When I look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth, untold, untold. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, 
Folks, robbers, thieves, moths, rust, lawyers, can't get to it. It's incorruptible. They can't touch it. My inheritance in heaven, there's nobody on earth can touch it. They can't steal it. They can't take it. An inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It doesn't fade away and nobody can touch it. God's got it reserved. Isn't that awesome? When I look at others, their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you as wealth untold. You may not have everything you want in this world, but I'm telling you what, if you're in Christ, you have an inheritance in heaven that you can't even begin to dream about the size of and the worth of. That's what God's promised. And it's reserved. It's got your name on it. You ever pull into one of these places and you see it says, reserved for doctor of the month or whatever? Doesn't even have his name on it. Guess what? I got something reserved in heaven waiting for me and if I hold on to Jesus, I'm a co-heir with Christ. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Verse four of this song. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, don't be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. You know, I can't help but read that, to sing that, and think about Jesus in Gethsemane. Jesus in Gethsemane, Luke chapter 24, uh, 22, verses 43 and 44. It was an angel came to Jesus, strengthened him. Strengthened him as he was about to go to the cross, be separated from his father forever. An angel came and strengthened him. God knew that Jesus, his own son, needed the strength of heaven. So he sent an angel to him. I don't know what the angel said to him. I don't know what the angel reminded him of. The text doesn't say. But in my own mind, I believe it reminded him of all that angel reminded him, even if it didn't say anything, it reminded him of everything that was waiting in heaven because he needed to focus on the blessings that awaited. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. As long as he was locked onto what was waiting, he was able to go through what was in his immediate future that stood in the way. Counting his blessings. And you know what? Look at the blessing we have. Look in Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2. Speaking of angels will attend, as it were. In Hebrews chapter 2, look at the promise we have. Beginning at verse 14, speaking of Jesus. You want to talk about a blessing? Try this one. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Jesus Christ gives aid to the seed of Abraham, that is, those who are of the faith of Abraham. Jesus Christ is there to give help to you and me. An angel was there to help him. He's superior to the angels. He's there to help you and I. Isn't that incredible? Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Therefore, in all things, verse 17, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Jesus is there to help you and me and you. Isn't that incredible? Count your blessings. 
Yeah, it was awful in the garden that night. I can't begin to imagine what Jesus went through, not just because of the physical suffering, but the worst spiritual suffering. God in the flesh was going to be going to be separated from his father for the only time in all eternity because he had our ugliness all over him. He became sin for us. And I don't I can't imagine what what all of that entailed. And so he was strengthened. But here's the thing. When we're in our dark hour, Jesus knows what it's like to be in a dark hour and need aid. He knows. And the Bible says in Hebrews 2, he comes to our aid. In fact, in Hebrews 13, look what it says, verses 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never. Never is a strong word, folks, especially if you're an eternal, immortal being. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isn't that an incredible blessing? Count your blessings. You see, your adversary, the devil, knows the power of God. Is that not, isn't that true? Satan knows the power of God. He, he knows it. And he knows, Satan knows, therefore, the absolute power that you will have in your life and that you will be able to access and enjoy over him and his schemes should you constantly count your blessings and focus on God. He knows the power that you will have if you constantly focus on God and count your blessings. Paul was one of those people. Listen, Paul counted his blessings. Paul went through this. He went through some dark times. And you can't stop somebody like that. Look what they did to that man. They stoned him and left him for dead. They tried everything in their power to kill him. They put him through the ringer. And what did he do? He came up preaching. <laughs> That's what he did. Because Paul was somebody who was always counting his blessings and looking at what God had done for him and what God was going to do for him. Listen, Satan knows the power that you will have in your life if you're focused on God all the time because he knows the power God has. And so Satan, this is crucial to us tonight, Satan is going to do everything in his power to get you to look somewhere else. Get that. Understand that. Satan is going to do everything in his power to get you to focus on anything else other than the blessings that God has given you. Every time. He's been doing it since the beginning. That's how he's been so successful. Turn to me in your Bibles. This is a key point. Turn to me to Genesis 2. Key point. We can be in church and we can talk about counting our blessings and we can sing the song. And God wants us to do that, and I've been through why. But Satan is going to do everything he possibly can to get you not to do that. Why? Because it works. Because if he can get your eyes off of God, then you will not have the power to have the joy in your life that God wants you to have. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Look what, it say, what they say. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, <clears throat> don't miss this. 
The garden was perfect, right? At this point, God saw all he created, it was good. Can you imagine what that fruit must have tasted like all over the garden? There wasn't a wormy apple I don't believe in the whole place. God had created it perfect, perfect. Can you imagine? That stuff was so good that it makes a porter peach look like a worm-infested bitter apple. It was good. And he, what did he say? He said, you can eat everything from everywhere on anything and anywhere you, except for that one tree. Don't touch that one. You have everything else. Everything God created, perfect. You can have it all. Life's good. What did Satan come along and do? He said, hey, Eve, hey, 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 look, 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 look. This one thing God didn't want you to look at, look, don't count your blessings. Don't look at all this other beautiful stuff that God has done for you. No, 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 don't look at, hey, look at this, look at this, this tree right here. This one he told you not, this one, look at this one. What did he seek to do? Can you imagine being in a place like that? Yeah. Everything must have tasted perfect, right? What did Satan get her to do? Don't count your blessings. Don't count the fact that you can eat anything and everything from anywhere and everywhere and everything is perfect. Don't look at that. Don't count your blessings. Focus on the one thing God said you can't have. We know what happened, don't we? She wasn't counting her blessings. Do you realize how often Satan has done this? Let me give you some examples. We're not going to turn to them because we don't have time. Esau sold his birthright for a cup of soup, right? Genesis 25 through 27. We should be talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, but we talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Because Jacob sold his birthright. He took his eye. He didn't count his blessings. The birthright had a lot of incredible benefits to it, but he wasn't counting the blessings he had in his birthright. Why? Because his focus wasn't on that. It wasn't on counting the blessings and the good things that he had. What was it? It was on filling his belly. He got his, his mind was not on counting his blessings. So often we see this in scripture. Do you remember in 1 Samuel 8, the people said, we want a king because we want to be like all the nations around us. You remember that story? 1 Samuel 8, we want a king. We want to be like all the nations around us. Folks, listen. When you stop and think about what God had done for the Israelites, how he had led them victoriously in battle. He had led them victoriously into the promised land. He'd done everything for them. How he had given them victory after victory after victory after victory after victory. And what did they say? They said, we want to be like all of them. You know what happened to them? They weren't counting their blessings. They weren't looking at what God had done for them. When they took their eyes off of all the victories that God had given them, that's when they wanted a king and that's when things really went downhill. If they had kept their eyes on their blessings, it wouldn't have gone downhill like that. They weren't focusing on the victories God had given them. They had forgotten how God had fought for and carried them as their king. They allowed Satan to redirect their attention away from what God had done for them. They had forgotten their God-given blessings as outlined by Moses in Deuteronomy 4. Let me read you some selected verses that they had apparently forgotten from Deuteronomy 4. Sifted out of that entire chapter, I give you the following. For what great nation is there that has God so near it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him? Verse 7. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people and inheritance as you are to this day. Verse 20. 
For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of the heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like this has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go out and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials and signs and wonders and war? By a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God, there is none besides him, verses 32 through 36. They had God as their king. How much better could it get than that? They had God as their king. But they took their eyes off that blessing. They weren't counting their blessings. They turned a blind eye to everything God was to them. They said, no, we want to be like them. They weren't counting their blessings. And that's where the trouble came in. Turn to me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan has come to David. David's had his affair with Bathsheba. Verse 7 of 2 Samuel 12, Nathan said to David, Now David was a man after God's own heart. If David could fall, anybody could fall. Nathan said to David, You are the man, thus says the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. God says to David, I gave you everything. Wives and a kingdom victory. I gave it all to you. And you know what? If you'd have wanted more, all you had to do was ask. See, David wasn't looking at that when he's looking at Bathsheba. He took his eyes off counting his blessings, what God had done for him. He, had all the, he could have all the women he wanted. He could have all of everything that he wanted. He, God had just blessed him and 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 blessed him some more. What did he do? Not looking at those, looking at her. By not counting his blessings. Look at all the pain and heartache and death and stuff that came on his house. It was horrible. In the New Testament as well, perhaps there's no better example than the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Church of Christ in first century Philippi. Paul was, turn, turn to me the book of Philippians 1, will you, please? Philippians chapter 1. Paul was under house arrest for two years in Rome. He was chained and he was under guard, according to Acts 28, 16 and 30, as well as Philippians 1, 7. He was chained and under guard. Did you ever do the right thing? Did you ever try to live right and do the right thing and you wound up in a terrible situation because of it that wasn't fair? That, that's what happened. Paul's been preaching the gospel. Paul's been doing the right thing. Been starting churches, doing all this stuff, traveling, strengthening the kingdom. And he's under house arrest in Rome for two years, chained to a guard. You ever stop and say, man, I've done the right thing. Why am I in this mess? He could have said that. But you know what he did instead? Not happening. He was counting his blessings. He counted his blessings. Let me share a few of them with you. Philippians 1, 12. Look what he says. 
Here he is chained to a guard and he says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So it's become evident to the whole palace guard and all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He said, what's happened has turned out for the betterment of the gospel because the whole palace guard understands that I'm here because of Christ. In fact, at the end of this book, he says, He's even converted some of the palace guard. Did you know that? Turn to me to chapter 4 of the same book. Look at verses 21 and 22. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Some of Caesar's own household were members of the church. See, Paul wasn't the captive here. He had a captive audience. If you're chained to a Roman guard, what are you talking about for hours during the day? I'll tell you what I think Paul was probably talking about. I don't think it's too hard to figure out. He's preaching the gospel. Wasn't lamenting his condition. He was counting his blessings and how great it was. Do you remember when the apostles were brought in and they were beaten before the Sanhedrin? They went on their way rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for Christ. They were counting their blessings. We're worthy to suffer for Jesus? Look at chapter 1 of Philippians, verses 15 through 18. He said, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not so sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Meaning, what am I going to say about this? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached in this. I'll rejoice. I don't care if they're preaching Christ to make me upset to afflict me, he said, I don't care. You know what I care about? The gospel's being preached. What's he doing? Counting his blessings. The gospel's getting preached, it's just what I wanted. They don't know, they're trying to aggravate me, and this is great. Count his blessings. Even under house arrest, we go on in, in verse 19, you know, in, in verses 15 through 18, he's not complaining about his incarceration, he's rejoicing. Look at verses 19 through 23, he says, For I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I'll be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Wow. He goes on to say, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Because he's counting his blessings, do you see what that creates? He said it's a win-win. Hey, if I'm going to die, I'm going home and be with the Lord. If I don't, I get to serve him longer here. This is great. But when you have that attitude of counting your blessings of being in Christ, you see what it creates? It creates a confident, joyful willingness to face whatever comes. Because you understand, you're focused, you're fixated on God and what he's done for you and who's in charge and, and all that God's going to do for you. And you understand that. And so, as he goes on to say in chapter 4, 4 through 9, if you'll turn there, look what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Listen, Paul had lots of reasons not to rejoice, but you know what he said? Ain't happening. I'm going to count my blessings. Doesn't matter where I am. Doesn't matter what I'm going through. I'm counting my blessings. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
What's going to happen when I do that, Paul? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true and noble, just, pure, whatever things are lovely, things of good report, if there's any virtue or if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What is he telling us to do? Even when we're in our own prisons, self-imposed sometimes, what's he telling us to do? Focus on the good and count your blessings. Count your blessings. Count your... Life is not easy. Everybody's struggling with something. Some scars you can see, some scars you can't see. Some, everybody's got something going on. And life is tough. And, and sin is, is beckoning and, and Satan wants you and it's not easy. But he says, you know what? In the midst of those trials, you focus on what's good and pure and lovely. You focus on what God's done for you. This is how you enjoy the ever-present power of God as well as the God of power in your daily life, brethren, by counting your blessings. By always focusing on your God-given blessings and never allowing Satan to tear your attention away from what God has done for you, the way he tore Eve's attention away from what God had done from them. It is a learned art. In Philippians 4.11, notice that he says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. It's a learned behavior to count your blessings. It's something you've got to learn to do. It doesn't come natural. I want to close tonight with this. I am going to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians 4, and I'll get there at the very end. But I want to close with this thought tonight on counting your blessings. You heard the old line, two men looked out through prison bars, one saw mud and one saw stars. One was counting their blessing. It depends where your focus is. I receive regular electronic encouragements from Dale and Jeff Jenkins from the Jenkins Institute. And a while ago, I got this little snippet. This is what he says. We've all heard the joke about the two shoe salesmen who were sent to a third world country. One man calls his wife the moment he lands, telling her, Honey, I'm coming back home. There is no hope here. Nobody here is wearing shoes, so there's no one to sell to. He boards the next flight home. The second man calls his wife, all excited, and says, Honey, you wouldn't believe what I found here. There is so much opportunity, no one here is wearing shoes. I can sell to everybody. Your focus is what matters. Fixating on Christians' unbelievable salvation. The director of sports marketing for Nike tells about Phil Shoe Dog Knight, founder of Nike, and one of the 10 richest men in the world. Knight was trying to open the shoe market in China. She recalls him saying, there are two billion feet out there. Go get them. As we talk about a man who is one of the 10 richest men in the world, I want you to know that tonight, if you are a child of the living God, that you are far, for, far more infinitely wealthier. As you sit right here tonight, every one of you, every one of you who's in Christ, every last single one of you who's in Christ, you are richer, infinitely far richer 
than any of the 10 richest men in the world. Did you know that? Did you know that? If you put all of the 10 richest men in the world together, and they're not in Christ, and you are, you are richer infinitely more than they are. Did you know that? Do you understand the wealth that you have being in Christ? Do you understand that the wealth can't even begin to be imagined by those men in their wildest dreams that you have? They ought to envy you. You know why? Because Ephesians 1 and verse 3 says that you have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Can you get your mind around that? Can you get your mind around every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place? I can't get my mind around it. But the Bible says you've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places if you're in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Romans 8 and verse 1 says, there is now, now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Isn't that awesome? You want to talk about priceless? No condemnation. Think about what you've done in your life. I'll think about what I've done in mine. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You want to talk about rich? You want to talk about a blessing to count this week when trouble hits? You want to talk about something to focus on? that I can't let Satan pull my eyes away from because it's so powerful, focus on that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Focus on this. I am an equal heir and co-heir with Jesus Christ as we read in Romans 8, 16 through 18. I'll tell you another blessing. In every day, every way, every circumstance, and every situation that Satan can possibly throw at you, you are more than conqueror in Christ Jesus. You want to talk about priceless? Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 37. For I am convinced, neither life nor death, angels, principalities, powers, things to come, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's a blessing to count this week when trials come at you, ain't it? Count your blessings. Finally, if you're open to that passage in 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, says that we have within us a treasure that prevents our pressures. Let me say that again. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9, says that we have within us a treasure that prevents our pressures from crushing us, our perplexities from pushing us into despair, and our persecutions from making us feel forsaken, as well as keeping our defeats from destroying us. What is that treasure? Count your blessings. As opposed to your earthly burdens, count your heavenly blessings, or as the Apostle Paul says in verses 16 through 18 of that chapter, the following, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, yeah, the Apostle Paul wrote that, remember? Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Paul says, count your eternal blessings, not your circumstance. 
Don't get caught up in how painful it is for a moment in this life where you are, but count your blessings. Focus on that eternal home in heaven that God has for you. That's what Paul said to do. For the things which are seen are temporary. I don't, I don't trivialize or minimize anything that anybody's going through. Brethren, I don't. But I am here to tell you that no matter what you're going through that is that hard and that difficult, it's going to end, isn't it? At some point, it's going to end. But heaven's not going to end. So he says, don't focus on the things that are temporary. Focus on the things that are eternal. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. So if you want to live the joyful, victorious, and impervious life that the Lord died for you, to give you no matter what you encounter, then count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly and you will be singing as the days go by, even if you're in a Roman prison cell. Count your blessings. Tonight, if there's anybody here who's not a member of the Lord's church, you're not a child of God and you're not in Christ, then you don't have access to all those spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. But we'd love to have you be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins if that is something that you've studied and come to understand you need to do to have your sins forgiven. And if you're here tonight and you're struggling with something and you just need the prayers of the church that you will focus more on your blessings, we'd love to help you with that. Tonight, if you have a need, please come now. We encourage you, come now. It's not that far down through.